All right, good morning. If you're a guest, I want to welcome you. My name is Mark Mullery. I serve as the teaching pastor here, and we are in a series in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We're in chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 today, and the topic of gifts comes up in uh, this passage. This is one of the places in the New Testament where we get these lists of gifts that are given by God to build up the church. And so I just want to mention a couple of resources uh, that you may find helpful on the topic. Um, the topic of the continuation of the gifts. Have all the gifts, uh, do they continue from the New Testament times to today or have some ceased? We're a continuationist church. We believe the gifts are still functional in the church today. And so there's an article, Why I'm a Continuationist, by a pastor named Sam Storms. That's available at the Welcome Center, and it'll be on a follow-up email that goes out after the service. And then two books. There's a book called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, same author, Sam Storms. That's in the bookstore. Uh, the, there's a chapter in there on, on prophecy, which will come up in the list today, that uh, is especially helpful. And then a longer uh, treatment of the particular gift of prophecy, um, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament and today, by Wayne Grudem. If, if these ideas are new to you, if your background is uh, uh, one where you haven't been exposed to uh, the, the gifts continuing or you've been in a, a church with a different understanding of those things, I just want to encourage you to these resources uh, and, and uh, talk with any of the elders that you'd like if you have questions about how these things work. So this morning <clears throat> we have uh, Dory Peace reading for us Romans 12 verses 3 through 8. So thank you, Dory. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Thanks, Tori. As um, we got started this morning, Adam um, leading us and the Apostles' Creed just said, hey, as we get together here, we're here having experienced a wide range of things uh, over the past few days and the past week, some uh, joy and some tragedy. And um, wherever we find ourselves this morning, I just want to just stop and pray. And we're going to look to the shepherd of our souls as we uh, gather to hear and, and uh, receive God's word to us this morning. So let's pray. Oh God, you are our shepherd and our father. You have been good and you are good. You lead your people to green pastures and still waters. You're the God who restores souls. You're the God who guides. You're the God who is present so profoundly present 
that you can drive away fear even in the valley of the shadow of death. And we pray for your nearness, your presence, and your help. You promised that goodness and mercy would follow us all the days of our lives. And we pray for your goodness and your mercy as we gather in your presence to receive and respond to your word. We ask for your help and acknowledge that you are our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask this morning, how does what we believe as Christians impact how we live our everyday lives? These things that we sing about in church, these things that we hear in preaching, how do those things show up Monday through Saturday? How do they intersect with everyday life? We have been in a lengthy series in this letter to the Romans, and in chapters 1 through 11, we've learned big truths about justification and sanctification and election and grace. What do those things have to do with how you live your everyday life at home, at school, at work, commuting, at the gym, the different places that we find ourselves? Last week, Kenneth preached from Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, which is the big transition point in the letter, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. These mercies of God, what are they? What are those mercies of God that result in changed ways of living? Those mercies of God are this grace that we learn about in chapters 1 through 11, this saving grace, this justifying grace, this transforming grace, grace that justifies and brings us into a right relationship with God also works its way into the way we live. Present your bodies, everything that you do in life, present your bodies as a living sacrifice and an act of worship. And don't be conformed to the world's patterns of thinking, trying to squeeze us into its mold, but no, be transformed by the renewal of your Mind. So this transforming grace that we receive through salvation in Christ, it then works its way out in our lives, in our bodies, in the things that we do, things that we say. It works its way out in our thinking, in our values, what we treasure, in how we see and understand ourselves. And the particular point or application or focus of this in this passage is our identity. How we think about ourselves. Who am I? Who am I? Today we learn that part of our identity involves being connected with other Christians. This passage, Romans 12, 3 through 8, has a lot to say about our identity. It isn't everything about our identity, but it has some vital and essential things to say about our identity. This passage, God's God's new way of thinking, this transformed way of thinking, changes, transforms how we think about ourselves. 
If you're like me, it's like, great, I get to spend the morning thinking about my favorite person, me. We think about ourselves, I mean, just stop and let's be real here. We think about ourselves all the time, don't we? I mean, we are constantly musing and meditating about ourselves, looking in the mirror, pondering who we are, what we're doing, what we're up to. God understands us and he wants his word to shape the way we think about ourselves. The grace of God leads us to see ourselves as people who belong and people who build. We are people in, in, in Christ, in this transforming grace that we've experienced in Christ, we become people who belong to the body of Christ. We're no longer just our own. We belong to the body of Christ. And in Christ, we're people who build. We build up the body of Christ. We have gifts that are given not to just be held, but to be used for the good of others. I need you. You need me. I have something for you. You have something for me. This is, in fact, even the great apostle Paul. You might think, oh, who's like him? Super apostle, great writer of the... New Testament, but he says the beginning of this, not the New Testament, some of the letters in the New Testament, but he says in the beginning of this letter, hey, church in Rome, I've never been to visit you guys, but I can't wait to get there. I've got gifts that I want to give to you, but I know you're going to build me up in my faith. We're going to mutually encourage one another. That's this transformed way of thinking. We have these interdependent relationships in the body of Christ. God is cultivating and teaching us to have a grace-based identity. A grace-based identity keeps you from thinking too much of yourself. We need grace because we're sinners. Well, there's nothing to boast about there. It humbles us. But a grace-based identity also keeps us from thinking too little of ourselves. Now, we've received grace. So your identity is you are people who are loved by God, found in Christ. So how does this work out in these, these two ways, belonging and, and building? Well, let's, let's look at the, the passage. First, people who belong. We're people who belong in Christ to a body. Whose body is it? It's Jesus's body. So we're people who belong to the body of Christ. So chat, uh, verses 4, 5, and 6 in this passage provide us with an illustration, a principle and an application. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to look at the illustration. Look at verse 4. Here's, here's what it says again. As in one body, we have m- many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So the idea here is just stop for a second and think about a body. All right, think about a human body. Many members, right? They don't all have the same function, but all part of the same body. So you, you've got teeth, and you've got hair. And you've got knees and you've got lungs. They don't all have the same function, but they have something in common, right? They're all part of your body, part of one body, right? Their identity isn't just arm, but your arm, Lynn's arm, Kevin's arm, Mark's arm, right? So many different members, different parts but one common body, and the parts have different functions. They don't all have the same function, right? So just stop and think about the the illustration here. 
Think about your thumb, right? Got a thumb, right? Not very impressive. Probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about your thumb. Probably don't spend a lot of time talking about your thumb. But have you ever tried buttoning a shirt without a thumb? Maybe you had your hand in a cast sometime. You tried doing that. It's really, really hard to do. Opposable thumbs are a great gift. Holding a steering wheel without thumbs, don't try it. Don't try this at home. It's very difficult. Try doing a thumbs-up emoji without a thumb. It doesn't work. Thumbs are really, really useful, right? And your thumb and your ear, they don't have the same function, do they? But they really need each other. Your ear really needs your thumb to grab some food at lunchtime and get some nourishment in there to keep the blood flowing to that ear. And the, the thumb needs the ear to hear that your food's ready so that you can get that food. They collaborate. They've got this interdependent relationship. So that's the illustration. Now, here's the principle in verse 5. We're going to start to work this out. Okay, so that's a body, right? One body, different parts, different functions for those different pieces. Now, verse 5, here's the, here's the principle. So we, who? Christians, church, church in Rome, Redeeming Grace Church, believers in the body of Christ. Okay, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. What does that mean? It means that if you're a Christian, you belong to something bigger than yourself. You've become part of something bigger than yourself. You've become a part of the body of Christ and you are members one of of another. This means there's a dependent relationship that Christians have with other Christians. It's, a, it's, it's not a one-way dependence, though. It's not only going in one direction. It's a mutual dependence. So I would say it's an interdependence. So the idea here is that this new way of thinking, this transformed mind... This grace-based identity, it begins to work itself out in our lives. And so we're not conformed to the world's way of thinking about ourselves. Instead, we're transformed by a new way of thinking about ourselves. So let's just stop and ask a question. This culture that we live in, the world that we live in here, this world system that we're a part of here, how does it think about identity? How does it think about identity? That's... That's worth pondering, and I, there's a lot more that, to be said about that than I can say right here. And I'm going to just zero in on one common expression or understanding of identity that, that's pervasive in the culture we live in, and, and that's individualism, right? American culture celebrates the rugged individual. Think about our country. This, this country was, was uh, built up by people who are willing as individuals often, to leave a home in one place and go across the ocean, cross borders, go great distances to another place, or leave one side of the country for a gold rush and go to the other side of the country. And so there's this theme of being willing to leave behind or, or go against the flow of what you grew up with, of what your family might be doing or your friends might be doing or your 
church might be saying, and, and go your own way. And so we have these kind of these slogans that, are, that, that resonate in the culture. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Luke, follow your feelings. Right? Do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. You see the thread there, this individualism. So the way this works in our culture is to find your purpose, to find your identity, to find the true you. Where do you look? You look inside. That's where, that's where it is. And so you find out who you are by looking inside, and then you live that out, no matter what your family or your friends or your school or your church or your culture or anyone else might say. There's this rugged individualism. The gospel, a grace-based identity, is different than that. How? How is it different? This new way of thinking transforms how we think about ourselves. And one of the key places it does it is that we look for identity. We look for purpose. We look for fulfillment where? Not within, but outside. Just even listen to the words of the passage. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. Where's that grace coming from? It's coming from outside. This grace that we receive as Christians it is Martin Luther, the church leader from the time of the Reformers, he said it's an alien grace. It's something that comes from outside of ourselves. So this transforming work, this transforming grace, this new identity, it doesn't start from within, it starts from outside. So the beginning of the letter, to those who are in Rome, loved by God. There's an identity statement. Where's the basis for that? It's outside. It's from God. Called to be saints. So to be transformed by the renewing of your minds, you must be transformed in how you think about who you are. You know, this was countercultural in Rome in the first century, just as it is here today. So when it comes to a human body, these various parts are interdependent, right? But let's just... Let's just think about the illustration just, just one step further. Think about, think about your body. You've got all these parts that are interdependent, right? You've got fingers and arms and knees and stuff. But you know what? Their, their connection is involuntary, isn't it? Like you can't leave the auditorium and say, oh, I, f- I left my hand in the car. I'll be right back. And then that's a good thing for people like me because, oh, man, I left my ears at home again. I can't hear anything. I, I'd be leaving... Body parts all over the place. So this interdependence in your body is involuntary. But guess what? In the body of Christ, this interdependence is voluntary. You can decide to participate in this or decide not to participate in this. You have to decide if you want to live out this call to be members one of another. And this is part of this transformed way of thinking, this new grace-based identity way of living. And so we are made 
remade, born again, given new life to live in interdependent relationships with other Christians. And this is risky, isn't it? Because that means being connected with people who are going to let you down, who are going to hurt you. And you know what? That means people being connected to you, knowing that you're at some point going to let them down and you're going to hurt them. And this is challenging. It's risky, isn't it? But consider Jesus. How did he live? In his time here, he opened up his life to other people, didn't he? He lived in committed, connected relationships, so much so that he let people get close enough to him so they could betray him and deny him and and abandon him when he most needed them. And, And he also says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Take the risk of connectedness. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. This is why you can't simply be an online Christian. You can't do it. You have to be connected. Hear God's word to us. To present your body as a living sacrifice means to put yourself in close relationships with other Christians. I need you. You need me. This is why we believe in church membership here. It's a way of formalizing and and clarifying a commitment to one another. This is why we love Sundays, what makes Sunday special. It's this one time in the week when we get together and express this connectedness through through singing songs and encouraging one another in in our conversations and our prayers and hearing God's word together. This is why meeting together in small groups, community groups, prayer meetings, discipleship groups, why having friendships uh, is, is so important because God's New identity, this grace-based identity, results in us being members one of another. So we belong to the body of Christ. We are a new people. We belong to the body of Christ. Second, we're a people who build up the body of Christ. We have this illustration, one body, many members, different functions. We have this principle, that's us in Christ. It applies to us as people. Now, here's the application. Listen to verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So here are three facts from that verse about every Christian. Paul had never been to this church in Rome, but he knew these things about the believers there because they're true of all believers. They're true of each believer here as well. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Fact number one is you have gifts, grace gifts. Fact number two is there's a range of gifts. They're gifts that differ just as these, because these gifts reflect God's character and his character is infinitely various and incredible and amazing. Well, that's why there's all these different kinds of gifts to reflect who he is. And third, you have to use those gifts. You have them in order to use them. They're intended to do something. So lots of pictures of this, but last Tuesday night, we had uh, the hypothermia week, right? And so um, here's the dinner crew from Tuesday night. Now, 
All kinds of gifts went into making this hypothermia week happen. We were in this building housing 40 people each night who otherwise wouldn't have had a safe place to sleep. And we were providing meals for them in the evening and in the morning as well. And so over on the left, there's Kyle and Donnie. They're retired, but they haven't retired from using their gifts. They're still serving away. And then there's uh, Gloria. She, and uh, with some help from her family, they, they put together pork and potatoes and carrots for 40 people or 50 people. It was amazing. It was incredible. And there's Bonnie and Leslie working their kitchen magic. If you ever know of Bonnie and Leslie being involved in a meal, just be there, okay? Because they've got gifts. There's Jay. Jay worked all day, and instead of kicking back and taking it easy that evening, he drove in and served the dinner. There's Bethany. She's got young children. She's got a busy life, but she made a big pot of vegetable soup, so there'd be a vegetarian option for people who were there. And then Michael made some fresh bread that afternoon, so there'd be good bread for these people. So all these different people, all these different seasons of life, but working together, members one of another, to put on this wonderful meal last Tuesday evening. And that kind of stuff, that's going on downstairs in children's ministry today. That's going on all over the place in the life of the church. And so we see these many gifts, differing gifts, but gifts that are being used that bring glory to Jesus. The presence of Jesus Christ is manifested. The power of the Holy Spirit is manifested when these gifts are used. They're gifts, remember, of grace. Now, by the grace given to us, they're not paychecks. You don't kind of go through the Christian life like you get to the silver level and you get these gifts and then you get to the gold level and you get those gifts. And man, if you can ever make it to the platinum level, then there's a special set of gifts for the platinum Christians. No, it doesn't work like that. He just gives gifts. Gives them to the youngest Christians. Just gives them because that's God's nature. And there's seven of them listed here. You know, there are other gift lists in the New Testament and there's some overlap, but some not, which, which I think is, is a way of showing us these gifts are just a, a, a limited description of the many and various gifts that are possible to use. But I want to just roll briefly through these and, and touch on them. The first gift that's mentioned is the gift of prophecy. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, what is this gift of prophecy? Some people have understood it just to be the gift of teaching, preaching. But there's actually a gift of teaching later in this list. I think it's different than that. In the New Testament, the gift of prophecy is significantly different than it is in the Old Testament. And it really has to do with uh, one Christian sharing something God puts on his or her heart, something God brings to mind, with a group of other Christians or another individual Christian in a way that strengthens their faith and builds them up. Prophecy is a Christian speaking forth something God has brought to mind that builds up another Christian. Now, this kind of prophecy, it's not creating new scripture. It's always under the authority of scripture. It's always tested by scripture. If you ever sense that you have a uh, a stirring like that in your heart or something that God might want you to share. We always have uh, somebody, it's usually Vince down, down here, but there's always a pastor or church leader seated down here that uh, can help you sort out with, with the Lord. Is this something that God is bringing that will build up the, the, the church in a, in a gathering like this? And when this gift is functioning, it can be so incredibly encouraging. I've had that experience in my 
own life. I remember there was one time, coming up on, Les and I, coming up on 20 years having been here, 20 years and about four months ago when, when we knew God was calling us to come here, but only a few people knew about it at that point. We were in the car in another city with somebody who didn't know anything about what was going on. That changed in our lives. And, but he has this gift of prophecy, and we're just driving along. And all of a sudden, he says, you know, I just got something I, I think the Lord might want me to share with you. And he begins to share. And he says, Leslie, you know, there's a change coming for you in relationships. But don't be afraid because God has new relationships for you. So just, just don't fear. He had no idea we were about to move from Pasadena to Fairfax. Do you think that was encouraging to our souls? Wow, that was really encouraging. Like, the, like we knew that, but then we really knew that. Just the gift of prophecy just brings a sense of God's nearness and his love. I'll write more about this in, in the midweek musings that I'll do for next week, but we would just love to see this gift stirred up uh, afresh. I just want to encourage you to the chapter that's in, in uh, uh, the, the book on uh, Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. And, and if you sense you might have this gift, just pray and ask God to, to help you and ask, uh, a- ask others to help you stir this up. Gift of serving. Do you know all Christians are called to serve, but some have gifts of serving. Some just have an unusual ability to meet practical needs, to see needs and opportunities and, uh, and, and, and meet them. Um, we're going to be talking about Deacons, that's the seven-year project that Stephanie mentioned uh, earlier. Deacons are people who have this, this gift. They're grace-gifted in areas of, of mercy and, and, and service. Gift of teaching. All Christians can read God's Word and learn. All Christians can strengthen other Christians through sharing Scripture with them. But some men and women have special gifts to make the Scriptures and Christian life more clear and understandable. Gift of exhortation. Exhortation, this, the Greek word here is parakaleo. It's a, it's a word that's used for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. It's a word with a wide range of meanings. It can be exhortation. It can be comfort. It can be encourage. It can be counsel. And the idea is that some Christians have special gifts to just stir up and strengthen and encourage or counsel or comfort other believers. You know, one group of people in our church that have that uh, is our prayer team. When I'm preaching on Sundays, I come in, Saturday's a a sermon prep day, and when I come in to to work on my sermon, in my box over there in the hallway, I often have one of these little notes from the Saturday morning prayer team. And they've prayed for the sermon, and, and for me, they do that for whoever's preaching. And I can't tell you how this strengthens me. How encouraging it is. It, it's an exhortation. It's a strengthening. It's a coming alongside. I go upstairs and I literally say, Lord, you've heard these prayers. And I believe you answer prayers. So come through now because I need help. So there are people with those kinds of gifts. Gifts of contribution. This is particularly financial. All Christians are called to be generous with their money. But there are some that are specially empowered by the Spirit to be able to Give in unusual proportions or unusual amounts. And if you have that gift, feel free to share it with Redeeming Grace Church at any time. Welcome. Them. Stir that gift up. Leadership. Leaders have the ability given by the Spirit to get people to follow them. Hopefully in the right direction. Right? Um, acts of mercy. All Christians are called to be merciful, but some have special, just a special tenderness and affection for the poor 
the sick, the disabled, prisoners, the elderly. And there are more gifts than these, but these are the ones that are listed here. We believe these gifts are for today. Now, there's some discussion about that. And there are sincere Christians who believe that some of the the gifts that we see in the New Testament have ceased. That's called cessationism. And there are others who believe that all the gifts we find in the New Testament continue today. That's called continuationism. And that's the view of our church. We believe that the gifts do continue for several reasons. One is we believe that the gifts continue because the gifts were pervasive in the New Testament churches. Paul's never been to Rome, but he's confident those gifts are there. Why? Because those gifts are happening all over the place. If there's a New Testament church, there's these gifts there. And we see spiritual gifts so widespread and functioning, they were pervasive there, and we don't see any sort of end point to them. Second, we believe the presence of the Holy Spirit manifested in these gifts is a sign of the new covenant. We don't find any expiration date listed for some of the gifts, but not for others. In fact, the Prophet Joel says the new covenant that we celebrated in the Lord's Supper Day, this is the new covenant in my blood, that new covenant will involve the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, Joel predicts. Third, there's no statement anywhere in the New Testament that we should view spiritual gifts different than we view other New Testament practices and ministries which also continue to the present. We believe A whole range of practices and ministries in the New Testament started with the New Covenant and continue forward to today. And finally, we believe all the spiritual gifts are vital for the mission of the church and the building up of the church. God is committed to bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And we believe all the gifts are vital to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of God's name among all the nations. So, what are your gifts? What are your gifts? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Do you know what your gifts are? If you're not sure, how can you find out? Here's a couple suggestions. First, if you're not sure what your gifts are, just ask yourself, how's God made me? Just think about, what do you enjoy doing? Where do you, what do you find satisfying? Where do you see problems that you like to work on? Or where do you see opportunities maybe that others don't notice that, 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 that could help strengthen God's people and encourage the church? Another suggestion is just try doing different things. Jump in, serve, get involved. Is someone moving? Go help them pack. Someone sick? Ask if you can pray for them. Is someone down and discouraged? Ask if you could just share something from God's word with them and, 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 and pray for them. Try doing different things. You'll find there's all kinds of different gifts. And you'll find great joy as you begin to discover those gifts and use them. I'll just take a second to brag about my wife, Leslie. She's downstairs serving children. Leslie has the gift of lavishing love on kids and moms of those kids. I don't see it on any of these lists, but man, do I see it in her life. And I love watching her just serve in these different ways. So she ends up being a substitute teacher at an elementary school. And she ends up volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center where moms with unborn children are coming in in crisis. And she's downstairs with kids, even though our kids have grown up. And, and she finds such joy in serving in these things. So I just encourage you, find 
what your gifts are by just trying some different things. And you know, you know what? Something else you can do is let people know where you see grace in their lives. If you see someone serving in a way that's fruitful and effective and making a difference for you, tell them. That helps them find out what their gifts are. We can strengthen and encourage each other in those ways. And then finally, when you find out something that you're good at, just do it. Go for it. And if you, even this morning, as you're hearing us talking about this, and as God's word is speaking to us, if we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If you've gotten weary or gotten distracted or gotten busy, well, maybe God's brought this sermon this morning and this passage of Scripture to help you get stirred up to serving again, members one of another, building people up. We have gifts. They differ. Let us use them. Now, if you, if you want to get started and you're just not quite sure how, here's a real simple practical suggestion. It takes a small army of people to put this meeting on. We've got all kinds of teams of people serving, from ushers to the Lord's Supper team to projection and sound. If you're, we need people who are good with people. We need people who are good with graphics and technical things. We need people who can pour grape juice into little cups. We do. We need people to do that. And if you want to just serve in some way and you're not sure where to get started, Chris O'Donnell is going to be at the Welcome Center. Chris, are you in here right now somewhere? There he is. Chris, just stand up for just a second so everybody can see. That's Chris. Go see him at the Welcome Center. He's in charge of all these Sunday morning teams. Chris, thanks for promoting the gifts being used in our church. Could I ask the worship team to join me as we bring the service to a close? I urge you, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants his gospel, his mercies, to work their way out into every part of our lives. The gospel, the mercies of God, transforms, it changes how we think about ourselves calls us into these connected relationships and using gifts to build other people up. So I want just to close singing this song, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of, our, o Lord of My Heart. And may this be our prayer for the week that as we meditate on God, as He is our vision, center of our lives, that's where our identity comes from, He's the one who gives the gifts and the opportunities to go use them. And as we go into our week, may he be our vision. And with him as our vision, may by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we grow in increasingly being connected with other Christians and using our gifts for the good of others. So let's stand and let's sing.